Lord Jesus, thank you so much for uh, your uh, work, your love, your grace, your mercy, uh, everything that you have done uh, for humanity that we might be able to share in the wonders of your grace. Uh, and Lord, even outside of that, God, just for who you are, Lord, you are amazing. You, uh, you hung the stars. You created everything. You breathed uh, on us and, and gave life. And apart from any work that you have done for us outside of that, you in and of yourself are wondrous and glorious. And we, we lift up our, our hands and our voices in praise just for who you are. But we do just cry out that we are so thankful and humbled and grateful for who you are and, and what you've done to make a way where there was no way. Take this service and use it as you see fit. Please, God, uh, let your word go forth and nothing else. And may you be uh, exalted, high and lifted up, and draw all men into yourself. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're picking up in Hebrews chapter 5 today. We finished up chapter 4 last week on Resurrection Sunday. Oh, and uh, as we, before we get into this, I do have a testimony that I've got to share and uh, talk about amazing. We have, we have witnessed uh, some amazing things in these past uh, three or four months that I, I'm just astonished at, I praise God for, and I'm so excited to see uh, what God is going to continue to do among us and in us and through us. Uh, but I want to give you a testimony of something that you were a part of that you may not necessarily be aware of. And that is, is that if you'll remember last week, I got everybody to pray for our brother Michael Ballou, who has just been in a horrible situation. Uh, most of you who are aware of that situation know that um, Michael was uh, addicted to drugs a long time ago and that the Lord had set him free and he had a long period where uh, it was just wonderful. It was just blessings all around and uh, lifting him up out of the pit. He established a home. He got married. He was a father to his children. He worked every day. And Michael slipped, and uh, he got uh, back into that situation that he was in. And it took him to a place where it was utterly and literally destroying his mind. And anyway, it got really bad. And so uh, I asked you last week because it was not looking good at all, and they really had abandoned all hope all the doctors and everything had abandoned all hope for Michael even in his very life and so I asked you last week to pray and that the Lord would work and move in this man's life and then uh, myself and four other uh, men here from the church we decided to go down and see Michael and pray over him and lay hands on him and pray for him and um, ask the Lord to do a miracle and when we got there, uh, it, was, it, it did not look good. It was, it was really bad, really, really, really bad. And uh, we were all um, just hoping that the Lord would work and believing. And to make a longer story short, I do want to tell you this part because I explicitly told God that I would give testimony of this if he would do this one thing. I wasn't testing, but I was asking. And I told the Lord, I said, if you do this, then I promise I'll give all the praise, honor, and glory. I'll testify. So five of us got into a car, and we went down there. And I'm going to be brief as I can. <laughs> five of us got into a car, and we, we started on the way to the hospital. And even before we got to the hospital, we were getting phone calls, and we were getting messages that we shouldn't come, that he's resting, he doesn't need to be bothered. 
um, that they wouldn't allow all of us in, that there was protocols and that it's impossible for all five, because we wanted all five of us to go in and pray over him and lay hands on him at one time, and they said it's absolutely impossible maybe three if one of you can't and it was five pastors so maybe three uh if one of you counts as a pastor and two of you count as visitors maybe three and i had a my brother-in-law who's a paramedic he said well dude just walk in and act like you know what you're doing and where you're going and they won't even say anything to you and so uh, all five of us, you know, we, we get the messages and everything. We're like, well, we're just going to go on. We're just going to go on. We're going to go, and, and if they tell us we have to leave, then, then we'll have to leave. And so all five of us walk, you know, to the hospital. Well, we drive to the hospital. We walk into the, the main uh, entrance of the hospital there. And there, if you've been there lately, they've got a check-in person now. It used to not be like that. And you've got to check-in and only so many people and all this COVID stuff and all that. So we walked through the door, and we just, just walked straight past them, you know, just like we know where we're going, you know. <laughs> and the guy's like, hey, where y'all think y'all going? <laughs> and so we had to stop, and he's, he's saying, you know, only, only two of you can go up. He's like, uh, he said, which one of y'all is the pastor? And we're like, like almost in unison, we all are, you know. <laughs> he's like, five, five, uh, what he's call it, five clergy? <laughs> I ain't never seen five clergy at one time for one guy. So anyway, uh, I was trying to explain to him that somebody had told me that at least maybe three could go up. And he's, he said, and this is when I, when I was asked the Lord if he would do this thing. The man looks at me, and because he, and he, I was telling him about what this person had said. And the man looks at me and says, I work for the hospital system. And so it was like, they are the authority that I answer to. And at that moment in my heart, I prayed, yeah, but I work for God. And I asked the Lord at that moment in my heart, I said, Lord, if you will exert your authority here and make, make a way, then I will testify to your authority, okay? So the guy says, no way. He says, maybe two of you, and then when you get done, and he's got badges, stickers, that say, clergy, 15 minutes. It's a 15-minute limit, okay? I've got to hurry up. But this is good, okay? So... We're, and so he's like, 15 minutes, two of you at a time, come down, switch out, two more at a time, 15 minutes. And so we're like, uh, we'll, we'll take what, whatever we can get. Well, then all of a sudden he goes, well, hold on a second. He said, let me call up the security and just see what they say. Okay, fine. So we just go over to the side and we just start praying. And uh, we all got Bibles. We look like we're, you know, <laughs> Lock stocked and loaded, strapped and wrapped, ready to go, you know. So two or three of us are praying, and the other two or three have got the Bibles open. They're reading scripture over this guy, you know. And uh, so he picks up the phone, he calls up the security, and he say, he, he puts it down, he comes back, he says, I don't know what to tell you. He said, their phones are broke. They have to walk all the way over there to that place, and then they're going to come back, and they're going to let me know what, what the deal is. At this point, it's, this is unheard of. It's not even a question. You don't call an ass. It's just that's policy because I work for the hospital system, right? And so we're like, all right. So we just keep on praying. He sits back down. Then he gets back up, and he comes back over there before the phone ever rings, and he says, hey, uh, what church y'all from? So we tell him. He's like, what's y'all services like? And uh, like two or three of us at the same time said, powerful. <laughs> and he was like, well, I can tell that's probably the case. What I mean is when do you start, you know? So we was like, well, we start 1022, a little small talk. He goes back and sits down. Maybe a minute. Stands up, comes back over there, and he says, Hey, uh, can you guys pray over me? 
And we were like, and I asked him, I said, I said, absolutely. I said, what specifically can we pray for you about? Or I think Chris might have asked that or what? No, I asked that, and uh, he's like, well, I'm a believer, he said, but I just want the power of God to rest on my house and my home and my family more. And uh, I was like, hey, man, yes, sir. And Chris uh, was with us, too. He said, Chris came bobbling up over there with all his tattoos, and he's like, we pray for you right here. And remember, we're in the lobby. He's the main check, well, the only check-in guy. There's a line forming, and, uh, you know, he's like, y'all, did y'all pull up on motorcycles? <laughs> it was like, no. And he really did say that, did he not? And uh, Chris is like, that was my past life. <laughs> so Chris is like, we'll pray for you right here. So uh, here we are in the lobby of the hospital. He's, he's like, I work for the hospital system. And now he's, you know, huddled up in a, in a circle. And we all hung up on each other, praying out loud, all of us at one time, because you know that's how we do, you know. And uh, the whole lobby's filling up. Everybody's waiting, and here he is locked up with us, and we're just praying down the power of God on this man's house in the middle of the hospital. And the phone's ringing. The people are waiting, and we just are praying. I ain't making none of this up, and I ain't exaggerating. If you were there, raise your hand to testify. All right, then. Well, as soon as we say amen, the phone rings. I'm not lying to you. This is just how crazy it is. The man goes over there. Remember, this is unheard of. It is no way. I, you, can't, you can't look at us like we were stupid. You can't go up. It's two at a time. He goes over, picks the phone up. He's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. Hangs the phone up. He comes back over to you. I kid you not, he says this. All five of you can go up. You don't need a badge. They said they've been waiting on you. Am I lying? Raise your hand if you were there to testify. We said, praise the Lord. And he said, I looked at him then, because I told the Lord I would testify, and I saw that as my first moment. I looked at him right then, and they'll, they'll vouch. I said, I, know, I said, I know you said you work for the hospital system, but we work for the Lord. And he said, oh, I work for the Lord, too. I work for the Lord, too. And I said, amen, amen. I just want to testify. We, ah, well, I ain't got to that part yet. Come on up here and help me, brother. I'm still, come on, help me, help me. So we go down, we get on the elevator, we, we hit the floor, we go up, we get the elevator opens, and I kid you not, when the elevator opens, there is a, uh, a uniformed security officer there standing like this, and we get off the elevator, he says, uh, we start to make a right, he says, hey, don't go that way, there's a shorter way, let me take you, and he escorts us to the room. Now, I don't have time to tell you about all that happened in the room, but I'll say this. We were there. Oh, remember, here's another thing. I kid you not. 15-minute time limit, no exceptions. We were there for two and a half hours praying over that man. Right at two and a half hours, over two hours. And it got wild. They had shut the door, and the girl was sitting in there. And uh, about halfway through, I looked over. I said, you Okay. You're a Christian? She said, absolutely. I said, well, I would ask you to pray, but I bet you've already been praying. And she said, oh, yeah, I've been praying. At the end of the day, at the end of that prayer time, you know, we laid our hands on him. We prayed on him. He seemed restful. We left. And to shorten it even more, I've been talking way too long, but I want to give, give glory to God where it is due. They were not expecting him to leave the hospital. And they, they thought any day, really. I want you to know I went back the next day, 
by myself, just as a friend. And I went back, so that was Monday. I went back again on Tuesday. I went back on Monday. I came in, I opened the door, I looked at him, I, I, and I, I could not believe my eyes. He was as bright as I'd ever seen him, and they looked at me and they said, when you left last night, when y'all left last night, he was restless for a minute, but he went to sleep, and he slept all the way till 12 o'clock the next day and said he has never done that in the hospital as long as he's been there. He's been there off and on for months, never one time he had done that. I went back the following day with Donnie and Ryan. He used to work with us. We walked in, and it was a different person. I gave him a hat. I gave him an old J.B. Trees hat that I had. I didn't have any new ones. He got the hat, and he said, wow, wow, is that for me? I said, absolutely it is. He put it on his head, and he got a, gave us the biggest smile. And they said that they could not believe it. They said uh, the fit, he was eating. He hadn't eaten. He was eating. He was talking more comprehensively or uh, comprehensible. He was uh, wanting to get up. He was uh, docile. He was okay where he had been getting angry. They said that they could not believe it, but... He had not walked in months, months, a month or two months. They said it was such a rapid change that they called the physical therapist, brought the physical therapist, and he walked around the hall that day. And up to this point, and I'll be done, is that, and he, he weighs 116 pounds. They told me three or four days ago, it was on Wednesday or Thursday, they said that, I, we don't know what to tell you. We don't know how to explain this. They said, but he can't eat enough. They've actually scheduled, it's in the doctor's notes, that he is to be brought two trays for breakfast and two trays for lunch. They can't explain it. We can. Well, we can tell you who, not necessarily how, but we know what happened. And the last exact, well, the last, last, last thing I'll say is this, is that he's doing so well and so unimaginable that they're moving him now out of Spartanburg Regional over to Mary Black because he's, he's progressing so fast. Glory to God. Glory to God. Amen. Yeah. And that's the result of our wonderful, wonderful God moving through your prayers and the prayers of a few men who are not worthy to unstrap the sandals on Jesus' feet, but in his great love with which he loved us, he has lavished upon us mercy and grace and love and made it possible for us to enter the throne room of grace with confidence and ask for help in times of need. And he gives it. Amen? Amen. All right, now open with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. When you get it, say amen. All right, let's all stand to our feet for the reading and the hearing of God's word. <clears throat> We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4. Is that funny? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, 
since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes, his honor for him, no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So, uh, time is short and uh, information is magnificent, so let's just jump right in. Last week we ended on this note of Jesus Christ not being introduced for the first time in the book of Hebrews as the high priest, but being uh, brought before us as a high priest in such a way that it would help us to realize that he has... He has come through the heavenlies. Now, different interpreters and commentators see that differently. Some see it as uh, through the heavens, being that Jesus Christ made the sacrifices, did what needed to be done, and ascended back into heaven. So the text, the, the literal, the Greek, it really just conveys this idea of moving through the heavens. So we could see it as him moving down through the heavens and coming down to us or from his work here being exalted to the right hand of the Father, I tend to say yes, <laughs> period, which I think in context, that's what it's demonstrating to us, is that Jesus Christ is not just another high priest, that Jesus Christ is the God, the second member of the Trinity. He is the Son of the living God who came down out of heaven to take on human flesh, to dwell among us, to be made like us, that he might do the work necessary to redeem us and to atone for our sins. But we also understand that it wasn't until Jesus Christ had resurrected from the grave, uh, justifying him, declaring him, vindicating him, and showing and proving that he was the sinless son of God. Not only was he divine, but he was fully human, so he's fully God, fully man, which separates him and sets him apart from any other high priest that had ever been. And this is what it's demonstrating. But after he resurrected from the grave, uh, conquering sin, death, hell, and Satan, he then ascended into the heavenly realm, into the uh, throne room of grace, so to speak. He sat down at the right hand of the Father, taking his seat upon the throne where he will rule and reign. Well, upon that entry, that re-entry into the heavenly realm, he tore that veil, that separating, that divider that divided humanity from God by fulfilling the law and becoming the, the way in which we can enter that throne room of grace and uh, through which the glory of God and the Holy Spirit, as he said to his disciples in the Gospels, would be sent back to us. So basically, he opened up the, the interaction and exchange between man and God, and he is the bridge, he is the mediator, he is the means by which we are reconnected with God through the power of the Holy Spirit and dwelling in us and making us alive in Christ, bringing us back into a relationship with God. Well, as we see that, we see this, this overwhelming uh, plea, this overwhelming um, sense of, of wonder as the, the last verse in Hebrews 4 says, let us, well, let's back up to 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect 
uh, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he's saying, this is not just God that has come down out of heaven, and he's unable to sympathize or feel what you feel, but he also is fully man, and he felt every, not, well, let's say it this way, and as I talked about last week, and I, I, I demonstrated, is that many think that because Jesus was God, his temptation wasn't as hard as ours. But as I told you last week, that is just a wrong way of thinking. And that those who give in to temptation early, they escape, they forfeit, they quit feeling that temptation by uh, submitting to it. But those who, and you know this if you just think about it a little bit, the longer you hold out and the longer you are fighting against temptation and you don't sin, you experience more of the temptation. You experience in a greater and a more full, a fuller way. Does that, does that make sense? Well, think of Jesus. He, he took the whole lot of temptation on. It was, it was hammering him from day one to day the day he breathed his last on this earth and spoke, it is finished. He felt the full weight of temptation. He drank the full cup of God's wrath. And so he knows what you're going through. And in the midst of that, and with that as the backdrop, he says, but now let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. This great God came down, dwelt among us, became like us. He he went through the same things we went through and even to the greatest degree that you could possibly imagine. And he stood that test, paid the price so that we can now come in. And now what it's going to do is going to start to explain the high priestly office as we see it unfolding and demonstrated and explained in the Old Testament. And remember, the audience to this letter, to this work, or I think this is a sermon, the the audience is who? It's the Jews, okay? Most likely converted Jews who are having a hard time about to step back into these old rituals, the Levitical priesthood, the law, the old covenant, all these other things. And so here he is. He is going to start just like he's done throughout the entirety of the letter so far, the sermon. He is going to demonstrate how Jesus Christ is the high priest and he is superior in every way. Just like he's already demonstrated that Jesus as the son is superior to those fathers that have come before and the prophets who have come before. He is the superior final word of God. He is the final revelation of God. And so he's superior to the angels. He's superior in every way. Now we get to the high priest. So as we move into this, we want to understand what he's going to teach us throughout the rest of the book. And I want to say this. This is the longest section of the entire book of Hebrews. Chapter 5, verse 1 through chapter 10, verse 39. Is that this whole section is teaching us about the high priestly office, the high priestly nature and superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And within that uh, excursion on the high priestly office we will touch on a bunch of different topics within that so we'll talk about the fact that Jesus Christ is not just high priest but he is the sacrifice he is the permanent high priest forever uh, which just as a side note there are there are no more priests there are no more priests Jesus Christ is the last and final high priest the only way that we can understand anyone as a priest in any way is that we understand that believers through Jesus Christ 
are a royal priesthood. But that is all believers because why? Because they are brought into Jesus Christ and ambassadors of Jesus Christ and that they go forth in his name as his representatives and ambassadors here on the earth as ministers of reconciliation. I don't have a lot of time to, to go down that road, but let's suffice it to say that no denomination or supposed church should have a bunch of priests, uh, should have anybody that would even call themselves... Call no man father. Let's say it that way. Let's break down chapter 5, verses 1 through 4 as quickly as we can to see what Jesus Christ is going to be superior to. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 4 is a general description of the Levitical priesthood. Now think of it this way. He's not explicitly talking about Jesus Christ in verses 1 through 4. He is giving you the description of what the priesthood was in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, in the Levitical priesthood, in the Aaronic um, uh, lineage, okay? So this is what Jesus is going to be compared to. This is what he is going to be shown as superior to, all right? Verse 1, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. We're going to see five points of the Levitical priesthood, of the Aaronic priesthood that we need to understand as a backdrop to who Jesus is and to help us to understand what Jesus came to do and how he's different than the, the Levitical priesthood. Let me say this as I say that, is that Jesus Christ is going to, he is going to stand far above and beyond and do what the high priests were supposed to do and were doing to some extent but on a level that has never been seen before. And as we know in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, that the Levitical priesthood, and all of that is going to flow from the high priestly teaching, that the Levitical priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, but, but everything, the law, the Mosaic system, the sacrificial system, the temple, the tabernacle, the feast days, the Passover, the Sabbath, all of it were types and shadows pointing and leading to the Lord Jesus Christ. That these were all just shadows of, a, of the heavenly realm. Now think of it this way, and i got to move on, is that all of the Old Testament, all of the Old Covenant are shadows and types and copies is actually the literal translation. All of that, Moses as the prophet who led the people, that administration, the law, every single bit of it was copies of heavenly realities but as we've already discussed and let me just try to tie it together and I hope you get it is that these are copies of the heavenly realities okay and and they were giving clear instructions on exactly how to do it per what this was this was just a copy but now in Christ heaven the heavenly reality has come down through the heavens you see how verse chapter 4 is tied into this is that the heaven that we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens. So as the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, which is beautiful and still legit, still awesome and wonderful, and we need it. We need it to help us to see who Jesus is in all of his glory and how much better he is than what we have before. That all of those, though, were copies of the heavenly reality, but in Christ we have the high priest who has come through the heavens down to the earth. And so the copies of the heavenly reality realities are copies of Christ and the church and the kingdom of God, the, the eternal city, all these things. This is a copy and a type that is pointing. So it's pointing back to Christ and it's pointing forward to Christ and the church and the kingdom of God being expressed through creation as the Holy Spirit descends and fills the, the believers and those who have faith and all this so that 
you now are the heavenly reality that the Mosaic Covenant typified. Christ in you is the reality come down to earth and is the fulfillment of what the old covenant typified or pointed to or foreshadowed. Does that make sense to everyone? So let's move forward. Five, uh, five principles, five truths, five realities that describe to us the Levitical priesthood, and we need to know these so that we'll have a backdrop to the rest of this whole section. Number one, they must be chosen among men. They must be chosen from among men. The high priest who is going to be a representative of mankind, those who, who God has called them to mediate for or represent or be a spokesperson for, they must be of like kind. They must be chosen from among men. Does that make sense? You cannot have a, even if it was possible, you could not have a goat as a mediator for a man. Right? You cannot have a giraffe as a mediator for a horse right they're they're not the same they're not the same you can't you have to have a representative that is like you for you a true representative unless he is unable to represent you because he is not like you we see that in, in verse one for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act we know that the high priest even in the levitical priesthood he must be chosen from among the human race. He must be chosen from among men. And as we see in the Levitical priesthood, he ha he's, it's a specific choosing of that man. And there are necessary requirements that he must meet lest he be inadequate or disqualified for that office. Namely, he must be from the Aaronic lineage. He must be from that, that lineage. He must have that DNA that he must... Uh, be of a certain purity he must follow certain methods and procedures and so on and so forth or he would be disqualified and he would not be able to represent and make atonement for the people on the day of atonement Yom Kippur or whatever else okay so he must be uh, chosen from among those men it's a type the type of man and this is for point number one we're going to go to point number two the type of man that's chosen, so he has to be chosen from among men. But the type of man is crucial for the efficacy of the atonement that he seeks to gain. He must necessarily be an actual man. Number two, he is th that the high priest must be appointed to act on behalf of men. We'll talk about the appointed part in just a moment. But he is appointed, his specific goal and command and uh, job is to act on behalf of men. Still in verse 1, he must be chosen from among men and is appointed to act on behalf of men. So the high priest, is, he, is, he is a chosen from among men, right? He is a certain man, a certain type of man, and his job, his role, his call is to act on behalf of men. He is a go-between, which is what a high priest is. And you can think in this part, think, mediator think even advocate think lawyer trying to put it in some of our terms that we might uh, see more readily so a lawyer is a representative and you hear that language if you've ever watched court tv or what if you've ever been charged which you know we're at the well so a lot of you have so you're in court and you can't even talk you have the right to represent yourself 
Uh, but that's usually a bad idea because we can't represent ourselves very well because of multiple reasons. So you have a stand-in, a lawyer who is for you. He's like you. He sympathizes with you. He is going to fight for you. And he is your representative. He speaks on your behalf. Same thing, high priest, okay? So he is appointed to act on behalf of men. The high priest is a mediator, representative, or a go-between who acts on behalf of God. We know this is what Christ done. We know this is what Christ does. The type of man, again, let's go back to that same sentence. The type of man for this appointed role of acting on behalf of men is crucial for the efficacy of the atonement. So when we, when I, I'm going to repeat that phrase a lot. The type of man is crucial for the, effect, uh, the efficacy of the atonement, meaning just how far and how legitimate and how uh, efficacious or how, um, how extensive that atonement is and how, how far it goes depends on the type of man giving it, okay? And we will see that the sacrifice that he gives is also important too. But here we are. He must be appointed officially unto representation. You can't just be represented nilly-willy, right? You have to ask for representation. You have to agree to that representation. It has to be representation that is officially appointed to you. So if you're in a courtroom and, you know, Brother Keith Sherlin's, uh, you know, the judge and uh, Daniel's in trouble and I'm sitting behind him and I see him flailing and I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to speak on behalf of Daniel. Keith's going to say, have you passed your bar exam? You know, have you fulfilled all the requirements? Are you able to do this? No. Well, then you don't have a right just to jump up and speak for him. Sit down shut up, okay? <laughs> How many of you have done that before? You step in to, to uh, defend someone, and you find out that you're not really qualified to defend someone, and they didn't really want you to defend them. Uh, all of you cops in here, raise your hand if you're a law officer. Never mind. Don't, 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 don't do that. We don't want to uh, give you away. I guarantee you that all of the officers in here will be able to tell you of domestic violence calls they have went to that the lady called or the man called maybe in some situations. They went out, they got there, and all of a sudden they changed their mind and they end up fighting the officer who came to help them get stop fighting their husband or their wife or whatever. You see what I'm saying? You have to be in, a, in an official capacity. You have, to, you have to be appointed. You have to go do that. So let's move on. Number three. <clears throat> He must be appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So that's number three, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins to God. So this high priest who is chosen from among men, he is appointed to act on behalf of men. He is a mediator, a go-between. He is a representative. He speaks on behalf. He has to bring something, right? He has to bring something to the table to offer. And what is that offering supposed to do, okay? That offering is supposed to offer some type of, of, of substance or it is to meet some type of requirement that would appease the one to which he's offering it to on behalf of the one that is in trouble, that has sinned, uh, that maybe has charges against him or whatever if we think about a courtroom setting. So here it is, he's got a charge against him and the lawyer's going to come or the mediator's going to come and he's going to say, look, your honor, uh, this man, has, he's guilty of this and you know, this is what we're going to offer in order for you to let him go. We, you know, we're going to plead, we're going to enter into a plea bargain. And, and so this is, this is how that would work in the Levitical priesthood. The priest would come and he would offer up what? 
what he was told was required, and that was sacrifices and so on and so forth, goats and things like that. But we also know from Hebrews later on, which we'll get more extensive into the, the high priestly office, is that the blood of bulls and goats never took away any sin. It could not cleanse the conscience, but there was something greater. So what do we understand? Is that even the blood of bulls and goats was a type. It was a foreshadow pointing us to the work that the Lord Jesus Christ would do. So on this, that he must offer some type of gift, I say this. The type of man is crucial for the efficacy of the atonement. So we know that. Now, see, we'll get all into the, the purity of the sacrifice and the worthiness of the sacrifice. But here we're talking about the high priest. And we say that the purity of the high priest, the, the one bringing it, must meet a certain level of expectation and he must be of a certain type even to order the shadow much less to actually make atonement for sin all men are sinful the wages of sin is death the judge in court must be satisfied or appeased okay the purity of the gift and sacrifice and the value of the sacrifice are essential for determining the extent of the atonement and how much sin is paid for the purity of the the ones making the sacrifice the high priest and the purity and the worth and the value of that gift being brought it all determines just how much atonement you get, right? So if you are in a courtroom and you have to pay, you know, $25,000, it doesn't matter if you can come up with 10000 of it. It's going to get you somewhere, but it's only going to get you so far. It's not going to get you free. So it is a shadow. The blood of bulls and goats could never atone for sin. Number four. It says here, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Now, remember, we're talking about the Levitical priesthood. He can deal gently because of his weakness. So you might not have ever caught this before, but this is, is that the high priest must be able to sympathize. He must be able, he must be human. He must be able to sympathize. Now, we know in the case of the Levitical priesthood, their weakness was not just one that they understood and saw what people went through, but they went through it too. So their weakness extended past temptation and into the sin realm, which we will see later that they have to offer sacrifices for themselves, which we're going to see here. A great distinguishing mark between the Levitical priesthood and the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Watch what it says. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people of God. This is going to be a huge uh, deciding factor and distinguishing factor between Jesus Christ and those who came before him. We know the extent of the weakness necessarily affects the ability for the chosen high priest to represent others. If you have no idea what it's like to be there, it's going to be harder for you to represent them. It's going to be harder for you to sympathize with them. And I can tell you point blank that any of you who see someone going through something and they are, say, being attacked or they are under some type of conviction, they are under some type of whatever, to the degree that you can sympathize with their weakness will will compel you or you'll have a lack of compulsion to go after them and to help them i'll give you one example right here and, and as a point of testimony is this in my life uh and i can't tell my whole testimony uh be here too long i i got into drugs at a really early age okay i've got about a about a five page rap sheet arrested nine times before i was 20 years old drug i had two duis when i was 17 
in and out of drugs, in and out of jail, horrible past, wicked, you know, hurt everybody around me. At the end of all of that, I was strung out on crystal meth. I was robbing people. I was stealing. I was doing all these things. Well, the Lord came down and beat the teetotal fool out of me, right, and saved me. And he radically transformed my life. I give all glory to God. But when that happened, he took the same passion that I had for those. People come to me all the time and they say, man, I wish I had your passion. Or, man, you're so passionate. And I really do appreciate that. It really makes my heart feel good. It's a great encouragement. I love that. But I always respond pretty much the same way. I'm like, I don't understand how, how anybody could not be this passionate. And, and I don't know how that works. I don't, have, I don't have any control over that. All I know is, is that where once I was blind and now I see. All I know is, is that I know exactly what it's like to literally, literally be laying in the ditch, stinking, have been up for a week, having robbed somebody, I haven't bathed in five days, I'm literally laying in the ditch, my mouth ripped open, bleeding, blood running in my mouth, down my neck, down my throat, I can taste it, looking up at the sky going, is this, is this who I'm supposed to be? This is where I am. This is Brennan Pori. Only to have God reach down into the miry pit and through notes, I don't understand people who say, that you're the one that's going to, to go after. No, you don't understand. God came and got me. He came and got me. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? I mean, you're talking about disgusting, stinking, burnt every bridge that I had, spit in the people's face who loved me and cared about nothing but me and hated God. And he came and got me. How am I not going to be like, whoa, right? And, and anything good that happens, he gets all the glory because he, he knows exactly where I was. And you say, man, you're passionate. No, I'm not. I'm just normal. I need to be more passionate. We don't understand what God has done for us. And if you're not passionate, I don't get it. And I get the fact that you say, well, my passion just looks different than yours. I can absolutely wholeheartedly say, well, Amen. You don't have to be loud like me. I've got my personality, and that might be how it comes out, and that might be how I express it. And if you're internal, and maybe you're, you're more reserved, and maybe you're an introvert, and I'm a stupid extrovert, right? But as long as inside your soul's singing, and I came out of that grave, right? As long as inside that's going on, then I'm cool with that. I got no problems with that. Because people be like, well, I don't have to raise my hands. I worship in silence. And that's wonderful. That is great if you are actually worshiping in silence and not just peeking at that other fool over there who's doing something crazy. What's he doing? He's got that rhythm going on. And you don't know how to express it, so you're just like, whoo, right? But as long as you are worshiping, worship, as long as you just look at yourself and you preach the gospel every single day to yourself, every day, I look in the mirror and I say, you were a waste of skin. You not only, see, I like what John Piper says, and I'm getting excited, and I got, I'm running out of time. I like what John Piper says, and if you have not seen this, you have to go get this and find this. 
go look up on YouTube, John Piper, I'm Bad. Okay? It's been put to this Michael Jackson song, and it is phenomenal, right? So he says this. You see, we have this saying, this, this churchy cliche, awesome saying, right? It says, God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. Now, agree with it, disagree with it, whatever, but I'll tell you what John Piper said. He's a lot smarter than me. He said, you don't understand. Now, this is John Piper. It's, this is John Piper, right? He's like, awesome. Look, man, you listen to him preach and teach, and it's like he could just crawl up in the Bible, right, and just stay for a while. I love it. And John Piper, in all of his awesomeness, says, you don't understand I don't just do bad things. I am bad. Do you understand the depravity that if you're a Christian that you were brought out of? If you are not a Christian that you abide in even in this moment and in that disgusting depravity that you are not just a victim, but you are a criminal. You are, you are a, an enemy of God. You are a God-hater, and He will pour out His wrath on you if you do not confess Christ and have the representative take what is necessary to have the judge say, Innocent. Not because of what you have done, not because of what you have earned, but because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come before the throne room of grace, we do not plead guilty. No, no, no. But we do not plead innocent. No, no, no. We plead the blood. We plead the blood. We plead the innocence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And go watch that video. It, it breaks on out of there and it's, it has John Piper. And it's like, you know, it, you know how they'll like split those clips. And it goes, I'm bad. I'm, I'm not, I don't just do bad things. I am bad. You know, didn't Michael Jackson do that song? I'm bad, right? And it's got that whole thing. But that's the whole idea is that we, we are not, is it, we're not just, we're not just people who, have a problem with sin we are sinners we're sinners and if you have come to Christ you have been freed no how Lord Jesus please drop Holy Spirit please right now you have not been you have not just been freed from the penalty of your sin you have become the righteousness of God. You, that's why you run up into the throne room of grace like you ran in your parents' house and said, I'm home. And you go over to the kitchen. You go over to the refrigerator. You fling open the door. And you start grabbing stuff and chugging stuff. And you're eating sandwiches. and things. You're just having fun. You know, I came, I thought about this today. I came to the debate last night. Good debate. Hey, give it up for Dr. Keith Sherlin. And uh, Dr. Lawrence was here earlier. I don't know if he's still here. Uh, he might have done up in R-U-N-N-O-F-T. He had to catch his plane? Okay. Well, I appreciate him too. But side note from that, I came in, 
I had my slacks on, had my button-up shirt on, tucked in, right? I was wondering if I should wear a tie, had my jacket in the car, but I didn't bring it in. And I came in, I sat down, and, and I got up this morning, I was like, maybe I should wear my slacks and my button-up, you know, because I want to look official today. The high priest is appointed. He has to be official. And I thought, nah, I'm going to be comfortable. And there's something on my shoulder. I said, man, you need to be official. And I'm like, but I like being comfortable. <laughs> I'm going somewhere with this. Check this out. It hit me. It hit me. It hit me. I had a voice. I had some, some whisper in my ear said, if you go today in jeans and, and tennis shoes, they're going to say, why do you get dressed up so formal when you come to a debate, but yet you dress down and more casual when you go into the service? And I was like, good question. <laughs> and I said, Lord, do I need to dress up? You know what the Lord did? I wanna, you know what the Lord did? The Lord said, well, when you go out amongst people that you're not necessarily family with to an official event, show honor to them, and you dress up, it's a sign of respect, it's a sign of demonstration of where you are. I said, Lord, maybe I need to dress up. But then he just popped this image in my head, Matt. You know what he popped the image in my head? I'm sorry to keep using you as an illustration, bro. I'm sorry. <laughs> but he popped an illustration in my head of my son Titus. And then I just thought through all my kids. And how, like, Titus is in this phase. Like, he's got to look cool. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, though. Now, nah, he's pretty chill about what he wears. But he, he likes to look good. You know, he's good looking. He's at my home. You know, he looks good. You know, he gets it from his mama, right? Well, I started thinking, you know, when Titus goes out and he wants to make an impression on somebody, he's want to make an impression on somebody, right? He's got to, you know, carry a certain air. What's up? You know? He's going to dress up. He's going to put the smell good on. He's going to put his nice clothes on, right? Because he's trying to make an impression. So ain't nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But when he comes to my house, he lets it all hang out. <laughs> relaxed he don't have to make an impression he's my family he's relaxed you know he, he just man we spend the time together he's, we're just hanging out he got his comfy clothes on he don't have to impress me he doesn't have to win his way in I don't he doesn't have to make me think he's cool you know why because I think he's the coolest already proud as I can be no more proud I beam with pride. He ain't got to impress me. He just comes and hangs out. Here I am. Here we are. You see, we're this family of God, man. We can't hang out with our father today. And I'm not saying you should disrespect God, you know. If people ask me all the time. I, I invite them to church. I'm going to be witnessing. They're like, man, you should come to the well. And they're like, what do I wear? And I'm like, clothes. <laughs> I'm like, bro, look, just don't show up naked. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Wear clothes, 
you know, whatever. We got, I'd be like, we, and, and I don't have anything against wearing a suit. Y'all know I throw y'all a curveball sometimes, show up in a suit and be like, who died? <laughs> I like suits, too. It's fine. I don't care. I like to look good sometimes, right? That's ain't nothing wrong with that, you know. Matt's got his vest thing, you know. I got my tennis shoes and my button, you know, my polo. That's all right. But we're here with God. We're just hanging out with God. We're here with God. Don't disrespect. If, and if it's in your heart you're disrespecting God, if you don't wear a suit to church, man, don't wear Don't wear no casual clothes. You know, this has got to be right in your own conscience. Anything that doesn't come from, from faith is a sin. That's up to you, man. But if you want to wear, you know, a holy shirt, holy jeans, or sweatpants, man, I don't care. Just come loving God. I don't care. Whatever. I don't care. And uh, last point. Is number five is no one takes his honor for himself. No one takes this honor for himself. So you, you can come on up, man. I'm done. The bottom line is, is that you can't just assume. You can't just assume to speak for somebody. You have to be appointed. And you have to be appointed by someone who has the proper authority, authority to appoint you. And that last verse right there in verse 4, it says, And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God just as Aaron was. Now, we've been talking about Jesus the whole way through this. This actual four verses right here is not explicitly teaching us uh, proactively, positively about Jesus. This is giving us a general description of the Levitical priesthood as the backdrop of who Jesus is and what we are to compare him to and to understand who is who who he is superior to. So remember, the so these were the, these were the priestly um, necessities, is that they had to be chosen from among men, right? They had to be chosen from among men. They had also to be, uh, they were called to be a representative of men, so they had to offer, uh, to, to represent on behalf of men, offer gifts and sacrifice, so they had to have something to bring, right? They also had to be able to sympathize or relate to those who were, um, uh, were, they were going to be representing, and they had to be appointed. They had to be appointed in an official capacity to be able to be proper representatives of that. Now, we know that the Levitical priesthood had all kinds of problems in every single one of those areas, right? And so they fell short. Now, it was God's purposes and plan to bring everything through that uh, shadowy system to demonstrate how man cannot meet these expectations. They can't, I mean, come on. They, they can't be chosen from among the men in any way that would be a legitimate choice. Why? Because every single human being on the face of the earth is born in sin. They are born with a sin nature. They are born under, born under the wrath of God. They have inherited it through their father, Adam. It has run downhill, and it has ran all over them. That's why it was necessary for Jesus Christ to be born of a virgin, because he could not be born in the line of Adam. There, there is no man that's ever existed on the face of the earth that could be what a high priest has to be in order to make a sacrifice that he can properly make and that can properly be made. That Jesus Christ is the only one who in every way has been tempted like we are, yet without sin. I want you to think about this. All the other high priests, they were tempted as we are and could relate. But they also fell and gave in to the temptation. That means two things. 
the high priest never felt the full weight of the temptation, so they can't relate to the furthest and the most extensive degree. Also, they sinned, and so therefore they are impure. They are not holy enough to bring a sacrifice in a perfect way that would make that atonement extend out forever. They can't do it. It's impossible. And there exists no one that can except Jesus Christ. Remember this. They have to bring an offering. And remember I told you that the worth and the value of that offering that they bring will determine just how far that atonement reaches. Okay? So if Lynn is uh, being held captive, right, and there is a $100,000 ransom, right, and, you know, bum, he goes over there, he's on the phone, he might just be like, it's cool, man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he goes over to the phone, he's like, look, 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 I got 20000 I will sell everything, I could probably come up with it. And the one holding her says, 100000 or nothing. He can't get her. He can't get her. Maybe they say, $20,000 will buy you a phone call. You want to holler at her? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, let me talk to her. See, so it can buy a provision. It can give us a hint. It can let us hear. It can, it can show us a shadow. But it can't buy us out. And there was no sacrifice that existed. You see, not only does the holy, the, the high priest, must, not only must he be holy, pure, set apart so that he can rightly bring the sacrifice, he's got to have an eternally valuable gift in order to exchange for an eternally condemned soul. Furthermore, Jesus Christ not only was the perfect high priest, but he was the perfect sacrifice once for all. We're going to get into all that. And the last point there was this, that Jesus Christ is the superior high priest that not only is chosen from among men not only is he the perfect representative not only not only is he able to perfectly sympathize with us not only is he able to bring that sacrifice in the most pure magnificent way that you could possibly imagine not only is all of these things magnificently true but he says of himself and this is huge I did not come on my own authority, but my Father in heaven has sent me. Hebrews 5, 4 says, no one takes this honor for himself. God has sent the Son. God the Father has sent the Son. Church, church. Jesus Christ has made a way where there has been no way. Everybody on your feet. Listen, if you are still dead in your transgressions and sins, you don't have to be. The good news is that Jesus Christ, who is the perfect high priest eternally, is also the perfect sacrifice, and he laid his life down so that all who call upon his name will be saved, washed clean of their sin, and not just that, but imputed with the righteousness of Almighty God. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Bow down to him today. Confess Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior. Believe in your heart that, that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. You shall be seated in the heavenly places. Not because of works done in righteousness, but because of him who has brought you in. Give it up, church. Give it up. That should make you... Come on, worship him.